Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. our passage, which is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And when I finish, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond with, thanks be to God. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence in the hope in which we boast. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Good. A couple people are good. That's right. I'll be praying for the rest of y'all. Uh, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm so thankful to be here again with you guys. If you don't know, my name is Michael Badger. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Church, and I'm so thankful uh, to be here with you all. Uh, now, uh, you may notice that uh, the verse that, we, uh, that Kara so uh, wonderfully read for us this morning uh, might sound a little familiar. Uh, it's the exact same passage that uh, we read last week. And um, the reason why we're doing it again is because my intention last week was to actually make it to verse 6. I didn't make it past verse 1. Uh, and so hopefully we're going to start picking up the pace a little bit. And we're going to do five verses this morning. So we're going to try to make it all the way to verse 6. Uh, now, as, uh, as we've said before... And as I'm sure many of you have experienced before, as you're reading through the Bible, uh, there can seem to be quite a disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this can especially hold true as you're reading those, those first five books of the Bible. And those first five books of the Bible are often called the, the books of Moses, or they're sometimes called the, the fancy word, the Pentateuch. That's a, that's a good one. You can put that in your back pocket for later. But the Pentateuch. Uh, or they're just sometimes just called the law, just the law. Now, the reason for the disconnect when people are reading the, these, these first five books especially, but for sure the Old Testament uh, completely, and the disconnect between that and the New Testament, I think is often caused by what seems like an archaic and crude system of laws. And again, this, this system of laws is, is often called the Mosaic Law because it was given to the people of Israel through Moses. And so it can seem like this archaic and crude system of laws and these sacrificial offerings that kind of weave their way all throughout these first five books of the Bible, especially when you get to uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And these things can seem kind of far and away from the type of teachings and the type of things we typically hear coming from the New Testament, at least from people who, who preach often on, on the New Testament. 
And this is why we see some erroneous teachers, such as Andy, Andy Stanley, saying things like we need to just unhitch ourselves. The church just needs to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. It's just, it's just too confusing. It, it doesn't really have anything to do with us Christians here and now, so we just need to just kind of dump it all and focus in on the New Testament. But if you were to share that sentiment, with the preacher of the book of Hebrews, I believe that he would rightly rebuke you. If you were to tell that to the, to the author of Hebrews, to the preacher who preached the sermon that the book of Hebrews is from, then I think he would rebuke you. What we find in the book of Hebrews is that there is actually a beautiful harmony between the Old and the New Testaments. And they're so harmonious, in fact, it is hard, if not impossible, to correctly and most clearly see one without the other. I'll take it one step further and say that without the Old Testament, including those first five books which gives us the Mosaic Law, we cannot grasp the fullness of what Jesus accomplished and fulfilled in His incarnation. We can't fully understand it the way that we are meant to. In fact, the Mosaic Law is so important to our understanding of Jesus that the preacher of Hebrews spends from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 10, verse 18, laying out how Jesus relates to it and supersedes it. And so you see, far from being in conflict to the New Testament and to Jesus, the ministry of Moses, which is expressed in, the, in that Pentateuch, that fancy word, was that of a servant whose labor was a key part of Jesus' own ultimate work of redemption. And so to say that you can just go on without the Old Testament, you're, you're robbing yourself of a lot of insight and a lot of understanding. So we can't just unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And the book of Hebrews explains to us why. But before I get too far ahead of myself, let us pray for guidance this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so thankful yet again that we can be here this morning. God, there are again so many things that we could be doing this morning. Lord, so many uh, activities that, that could have taken our time, sleep, rest, whatever it may be. But Lord, by your sovereign grace, you brought us here this morning. And so Lord, I pray, God, that you help our minds and heart uh, stay attuned to the things that you want us to learn. And Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us this morning, to illuminate our minds and hearts. So I pray this in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so if you haven't already, open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 3 and read with me verses 1 and 2. And when I say read with me, you don't actually have to read out loud with me. I'll read it, you can just follow along. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and prophet of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. And so as we said last week, we are called, as we're reading through the book of Hebrews and going into chapter 3, we are, we are to bring everything that we have learned so far about Jesus from chapters 1 and 2 with us as we enter into chapter 3. 
And we are exhorted by the preacher to not be lazy in our thinking and to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, as I said in the intro, chapter 3 moves into a long discourse that doesn't really wrap up until chapter 10, verse 18, about how Jesus is superior to even the Mosaic law, the most sacred writings in the Jewish faith. And the preacher begins this discourse by first doing this comparison between Jesus and Moses himself. Now, there are many things that could have been used by the preacher as he sought to compare Jesus with Moses. He could have chosen their their ability to lead, the the strength of their their personality, the various miracles that were performed, and and maybe their their wisdom, possibly. But the preacher puts the point of comparison where? Faith. He he puts it where I don't think that, that many of us would probably put it. You know, I believe if if we were going to be compared to someone great, I think we would, or maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but at least I would want the points of comparison to be things like like high intelligence, if my wife here, she would laugh at that one, or or speaking ability, or or strength of personality, maybe, maybe even level of success, you know, kind of things like that. But a wonderful thing about this passage is that it shows us what, in God's economy, has the most value. What has the most value? Because when the preacher compares Jesus to Moses, he doesn't mention any of those other things that I just said. Because when it comes to the Christian life, friends, there is nothing, there's nothing more valuable than faithfulness. Nothing. And not even faithfulness to your friends, not even faithfulness to your spouse, or or even faithfulness to your local church. But what has the most value within the kingdom of God is faithfulness to God Himself. Everything in the Christian life is downstream from that fountainhead. Everything is. If I want to be a faithful husband, I first need to be sure that I'm being faithful to God. If I want to be a faithful pastor, I must first make sure that I'm being faithful to God. If I want to be a faithful brother in Christ to to you all, then I need to be sure that I am first being faithful to God. It can be easy to fall into the trap of thinking that to to be a person of value in the kingdom of God means that you need to have some sort of extraordinary gifting. That you have to be above the rest in in some area of service. But friends, I believe those who are going to be first in the kingdom aren't those who are most seen. Those who are most seen on Sunday mornings, but I believe those who are going to be first in the kingdom are are those quiet warriors who may not get much attention, but who you would be hard pressed to find somebody who is more faithful to our Heavenly Father than them. And so the point of comparison between Jesus and Moses is faithfulness. It is faithfulness. Just as Moses was faithful, so too was Jesus. Now it is important to notice that the preacher of Hebrews is not trying to minimize the importance of Moses here. He's not trying to denigrate Moses, to kind of push him down. He's not even doing that, even though Moses wasn't perfectly faithful at all times. I mean, remember, he got right up 
right? He got right to the edge of the promised land. And when he was told to speak to a rock in order to have water come forth from it so that the Israelites could have something to drink out of his, out of his frustration towards the, towards the, uh, the, the bickering and, and uh, just kind of nasty Israelites, he struck the rock. He struck it instead of speaking to it. He disobeyed the direct words of God. And as a consequence, he wasn't allowed entry into the promised land. Now that may seem like a harsh punishment, but friends, it was a just punishment. That's also a sermon for another time. But I use that illustration to show you that even though Moses was not perfectly faithful, the preacher here in Hebrews isn't trying again to diminish Moses in front of the Hebrew audience. The whole of Moses' life reflects a life of faithfulness. Moses was a, a titan of faith. And so the preacher is saying, just as Moses was this great and wonderful man of God, more so than anyone else in the history of Israel, so too is Jesus. And remember, this is an important point to be making to these Jewish Christians who are being tempted day in and day out to make their own personal lives easier by abandoning the Christian faith and reverting back to the Old Covenant Jewish faith. And so the preacher is saying, listen, Moses was, was great. Moses was, was a wonderful and faithful man in the house of God, but so too was Jesus. But the preacher didn't want to stop there. He didn't want to make a mistake and accidentally have the Jewish Christians simply see Jesus as another faithful human being. Which if they had been paying attention since chapter 1, hopefully they wouldn't, but he wanted to be sure that the faithfulness of Moses, while extraordinary by human standards, is still nothing compared to that of Jesus' faithfulness. And as wonderful and as faithful as Moses was, verse 3 tells us that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory, of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Now I want to pause and just back up a moment here and quickly explain what is meant by the word house in this passage because this analogy of the house is used multiple times uh, in these six verses. And so let's back up real quick just to verse 2 where the preacher says that Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now some view this as a reference to what is called the tabernacle. The tabernacle which is the tent of dwelling that the, that the presence of God took residence in during the time of Israel wandering around in the desert after God delivered them out of Israel. They would set up this tent and they would tear down this tent, but the presence of God was to dwell in this tent and represent the, His presence with the Israelite people. And so some would say that this passage is talking about how Moses was faithful in his work in the actual tabernacle. Now, while it is certainly true that Moses was a faithful worker within the tabernacle, I don't, I don't believe that is quite what the preacher has in mind here. I think it's part of it, but, but not the whole picture. Rather, what is in view here is the people of God. The people of God. All throughout Scripture, Numbers 12, for instance, you see the house of God referring to His people. They make up His house or his household. Now there is an important distinction that we have to make. 
Because in the Old Covenant, not every person who made up the nation of Israel was a true part of the household of God. Let me explain. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River, preparing the way for Jesus. You remember, you remember that passage? Now, a group of Sadducees and Pharisees came to the baptism. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were just these religious elite people in uh, the Jewish community. And one of the things that you need to know about the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that they were, of course, known as hypocrites. They were big old hypocrites. They loved to brag about how well they followed the law of God, and they loved it so much that they even made up some laws of their own and bragged about how they followed those laws too. But when it came to actual faith in God, they were, they were found lacking. They were found completely lacking. And so when John the Baptist saw these Pharisees and the Sadducees show up at the Jordan River, he, he didn't say, hey, brothers. He didn't say that at all. He says to them, starting in verse 7, you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. What a sweetheart he was. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And repentance is this turning away from your sin and placing your faith in Christ. And repentance is something that the Pharisees would never do. They're far too prideful for that. John the Baptist continues and says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. So what John the Baptist is saying here to these religious elitists who are resting on their laurels, resting on their heritage as Jewish people, as blood descendants from Abraham, he is saying that just believing or just Having that as your heritage, saying that, that you're a descendant of Abraham, I'm a descendant of, of even Moses, don't believe that that is the same thing as being a true part of the house of God. John the Baptist shuts that down right away because it is not your genetic heritage that makes you a member of God's house. Rather, what it is, or sorry, let me rephrase that, what is it that the Old Testament tells us that was counted to Abraham as righteousness? It was faith. It was faith. And so what this passage in Matthew is explaining to us in other passages within both the Old and the New Testament is what truly makes you a child of Abraham, a member of the house of God, is not your genetics and it's not the religion of your parents. But what makes you a member of the house of God is faith. In God. It's faith in God. And so that is God's house. Those who have faith in Him. Those are God's people. Those are God's house. Now jumping back to verse 3. Though Moses was faithful, Jesus was still worthy of much more glory, much more honor than even Moses. Why? Because the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. You see, Moses was a part of the house, right? He was a part of it. Though he was a highly esteemed figure, though he is held up as a hero of the faith, he is still yet a part of the house of God. He is not set above it. And this is where the big difference between Moses and Jesus really starts to, to bleed through. 
Because while Moses was simply a part of the house of God, Jesus is the one who built the house. He actually built the house. And that's the implication of verse 3, and that is precisely what verse 4 tells us. It says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things, including the house of God, is God. Friends, the, the very existence of the house is owed to the builder's efforts. The house wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the one who built the house. Therefore, as the builder of the house, Jesus is far more worthy than Moses to receive glory, to receive honor. If the Jewish Christians that the preacher was speaking to left Jesus in order to go back essentially to Moses, they would be turning away from the one whom Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 tells us is crowned with glory and honor. They would be turning their back on the master of the house and, and going to the servant of the house. Now again, in verse 5, the preacher wants to make sure that the listeners and readers of this sermon are, are not misunderstanding him, thinking that he's trying to uh, speak poorly of Moses. He again reiterates that Moses was faithful. He was a faithful man in all of God's house, but he was still yet a servant. His role as a part of the house of God was to serve it, and not just to do so in a very specific way. And in the second half of verse 5, the preacher actually gives us the ultimate purpose of Moses' ministry. You see, his ministry was not just to lead the people out of Egypt. His ministry was not simply to just set up this arbitrary set of laws and regulations. And his ministry was not simply to establish this sacrificial system that did not point to anything beyond itself. Rather, all of those things, all of Moses' ministry is actually summed up in that tiny little phrase at the end of verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to do what? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. This is another one of those blink and you'll miss it kind of phrases within Scripture, but it is one that is packed full of meaning. Moses was a servant that testified to the things that were to be spoken later, that is, in the time of Christ. In other words, Moses' job as part of and servant to the house of God was to testify about Jesus. That was his job. That was his in the entirety of his job. And this, brothers and sisters, is crucial when understanding the Old Testament, especially when you're understanding or trying to understand those first five books of the Bible. Moses' ministry spoke directly to what was to come in Christ. And we don't have time to walk through all of them. Let's just, let's just look at a, a few brief examples. Remember the, the tabernacle that I briefly mentioned earlier? That spoke of God dwelling with man, which guess what? Christ did. Christ did. In His incarnation and in the sending of His Holy Spirit. There's this thing in the, in the uh, <clears throat> Pentateuch called the Year of Jubilee in which the slaves were released and the land returned to the original owners. And that spoke of the great day of our own deliverance and redemption when slaves of sin would be redeemed. And it spoke to the day in which the world 
that has been taken over and corrupted by sin will, will someday be renewed and given back to the people of God in the world to come? The incredible amount of, of civil and ceremonial laws that God delivered through Moses spoke to the gulf between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man and our desperate need for a Savior because we can't keep all those laws. And of course, the sacrificial system pointed directly to God providing in His Son the perfect sacrifice that had the, the power to forgive sins fully and completely and bridge that impassable chasm between God and man. And even, the, even the small things that we find in the ministry of Moses that we usually wouldn't see as, as a picture of Jesus were still yet done to point us to Jesus. Just a brief example of that. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is remembering that rock that Moses had water come out of, that he struck. And he says that even that rock, even that rock was meant to point us to Christ. Paul says that Jesus is that rock, the rock of our salvations, from which springs forth streams of living water. It all points to Christ. And so this preacher is saying, that it is okay to look up to Moses as a hero of the faith, as a man to emulate, because he was a great and faithful man. But to abandon the faith, to go back to Moses, would actually go against the very ministry that Moses was faithful to. Now another quick image that we are given that shows us that the ministry of Moses was a Jesus-saturated ministry comes to us in Matthew 17 or Mark 9 or Luke 9. You can take your pick. In the passage known as the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain by themselves. And, and just, just for a moment, the veil is lowered. And those three disciples got to not just gaze upon Jesus in His true humanity, but just for, just for a moment, they got to see His true deity, His divinity, shine through. For just a moment on that mountain, those disciples got to see who Jesus really was and really is. Truly man and truly God in the grand mystery known as the hypostatic union. And on that mountain, Moses and Elijah both appeared next to Jesus. And they were, I guess, given a hall pass from heaven to come down and minister to Jesus. What a beautiful picture that is. Because in that picture, we see that the very ministry of not just Moses, but also the ministry of Elijah, everything that they spoke of, everything that they did, came to fruition in Christ Jesus. If you want to understand the first five books of the Bible, look at Jesus. If you want to understand the ministry of Jesus, look at the first five books of the Bible. And they were there because by the grace of God, He had one more task for them to do on earth. And that was to encourage and to lift up Jesus as He was about to head to the cross. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? I believe that if you were to ask Moses, he would tell you that was the pinnacle of his ministry. What everything else that he did on earth was building to. How incredible is that? 
We want to unhitch ourselves from that? Say it's not, it's not worth studying or looking into? Yes, Moses was faithful. But he was faithful in his role as a servant in the house of God, as part of the house of God, to point the eyes of the Jewish people forward to Christ. But while Moses was faithful as a servant, verse 6 tells us, but Christ was faithful not in, but over God's house as a son. The faithfulness of Jesus to the house of God infinitely exceeds that of Moses' faithfulness. And the reason is because, well, one, Jesus is perfect in every regard, including in his faithfulness. But two, Jesus isn't simply a service in the house of God, though he certainly came to serve. But the house of God ultimately doesn't belong to you and I or anyone else in the, in the Old Testament, and it certainly didn't belong to Moses. But Jesus is over the house of God, meaning that the house belongs to him. And he is faithful to it as a son that has inherited a grand mansion from his father. The love and care that Jesus has for his house flows directly from the fact that he built it. And he intimately knows every stone that was laid. He knows every vein. He knows every step. He knows every nail. He knows every nook and cranny of his beautiful house that he loves. And because he himself built his house, and because it belongs to him as his inheritance, his faithfulness to it knows no bounds. And here's where we get into what this passage means for, for you and I. Because the house of God isn't just referring anymore to those who are faithful within the nation of Israel in the Old Covenant. Not only that, but it's not even referring to only Christian Jews. But by the grace of God and through faith in Jesus Christ alone, if you place your faith in Him, we too have become a part of His house. We're part of His house. The beginning of verse 6 says, and we are His house. All of us. If you've placed your faith in Christ Jesus, you are a part of this wonderful house that Jesus himself has built with his loving and caring hands. And so friends, the, the church, you'll hear this all the time, all the time. The church is not a human institution. It's not a human institution. It's made up of humans, but it is not a human institution. It is the very house of God built with the utmost love and care by His hands. And yes, it is filled with people who are still wrestling with sin, including myself. And being part of the church might mean you'll be hurt by someone within it. I know I have, and I know I'm not alone. But despite that, we cannot make the mistake in thinking that we can exist as Christians apart from the church. We are all called the house of God, but we are also called the body of Christ. And we are commanded, as we will see a little later in the book of Hebrews, to not abandon one another, to not neglect the gathering of ourselves corporately, together, as a group. Because, friends, the body of Christ doesn't recognize a, a, a severed hand. It doesn't recognize a leg that isn't attached and just off doing its own thing. We are meant to be unified. 
even if that unity is, is going to look imperfect, this side of glory. We are the house of God and we're called to stand together with Christ as our cornerstone. Now it is easy to miss the incredible implication of the house metaphor or analogy. I forget which one's which often. You see, God does not call the church His house without a deeper purpose. So friends, why does a person build a house? Why does he build a house? For what, for what reason? He built a house to live in, right? A person builds a house to live in. A person doesn't just build a house for it to stand empty and abandoned, right? You see where I'm going with this? I'm kind of telegraphing this quite a bit. <laughs> Jesus does not build his house. He does not build his church to leave it standing empty. But part of his faithfulness to his house is dwelling within it. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 6, I can give you those passages after this. I know I went through them quick. All tells us, all tell us that we have become the home of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. When we are born again, it is because the Holy Spirit has taken residence in us and communicates all of the blessings, all of the wonder, all of the grace of being in Christ Jesus. We quite literally become the dwelling place of God. Now, now, now hear me right. You do not become God, but you become His temple, His house. Not only that, but the local body, the local church, meaning the gathering of the saints, also becomes a dwelling place, a house of Christ Jesus. And this is a wonderful and unique promise given to us in Matthew 18, verse 20, when Jesus says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. And so when the church comes together corporately, to sing praises to God, to study His Word, to, to edify one another. When we come together in the name of Jesus, there's this, this special and mysterious way in which we are in the presence of Jesus, in which we are being blessed and grace is being bestowed upon us in this way that I can't explain. And if you can explain, please come see me afterwards. But we're not really told how it happens in Scripture, but Christ is with us in this wonderful and special way. Now, we sometimes don't even, even recognize this happening when we're here. Jesus built His house both individually and corporately. And not to let it stand empty, but to dwell within it. Christ's presence is here with us right now. Right now, we are gathered in His name. Though you may not, may not feel it, you're benefiting from it. Christ's presence is here in your heart and here with us in that mysterious way. And friends, if you have not yet placed your faith in Christ, then I encourage you to do that because you can be part of this house. But if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then friend, you are part of this house. You are part of God's house, that beautiful house that He has built and is building. Now, verse 6 is sometimes a verse that can cause a little bit of fear and uncertainty to rise into the hearts of believers. Because it says, and we are His house 
if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. But it's important to note that this verse is written in a very specific way. We are his house, or we are the house of God, if indeed we hold fast. If indeed we hold fast. Now, if you do not hold fast, the implication here is not that you were once part of the house of God and that you now no longer are. That's, that's not the implication here. That would go against the teachings of Scripture found in passages such as Jesus' words in John 6, where he speaks clearly in verse 39, saying that he will lose absolutely nothing of what the Father gives him and that he will raise it up on the last day. And he is speaking of those in verse 37, of those who come to him who he will never cast out, which, which includes you. He will lose nothing which the Father gave him. It would go against the clear teaching of John 10, being safe and secure in the hands of the Father and the Son. It would go against the clear teaching of Ephesians 2, of the Holy Spirit being a seal upon our hearts. It would go against 1 Peter 1.5, which says that we are being guarded by God through faith for salvation, meaning that God Himself gives us the very faith that keeps us from completely and totally falling away from Him. So what... This passage is saying is that you are a member of the house of God if you hold fast to our hope and confidence and our boasting in our hope. But if you do not hold fast, it shows that you were not truly a part of the household to begin with. And so friends, even if you have been to church before, if you've grown up in the church and yet you realize that you don't have this confidence or this reason for boasting and hope, or maybe you once thought you did, but now you no longer do, maybe that's the Lord drawing you to Himself because He is showing you that maybe right now you aren't truly part of the household of God, but you could be. If you put your faith in Christ Jesus, if you repent of your sins, you can become part of this wonderful household. Now this passage here in Hebrews 3, I believe, is also meant to actually be an, an encouragement to true believers, true members of the house of God, an encouragement to hold fast to your confidence in Christ Jesus and to boast in the hope that you have in Him. Now remember that this confidence and boasting in the hope of Christ is directly tied to a passage that is all about the faithfulness of God to His house. The faithfulness of Jesus to His house. And so the reason that we can persevere in this sin-riddled world and, and the difficult life which we lead rests not on our own faithfulness, our faithfulness to the house, or how well we serve the house of God. It's not, it doesn't rest on that whatsoever, but instead it rests on the faithfulness of Christ. If He was not faithful, then we would have no reason to trust Him. We would have no reason to have confidence in Him. We would have no reason to boast in the hope that He has given us because we would have no reason to believe that that hope is actually even true. I mean, friends, if you are unsure about something, then you're not going to have confidence in it. Take a bad marriage as an example. And what spouse would be confident in their marriage if, if the husband or the wife was unfaithful? 
But brothers and sisters, we can have confidence that the promises that Jesus makes to us are true. Not promises that we're going to flourish in an earthly sense on this earth. Not promises that we're going to be spared from disease or broken relationships this side of heaven. But better promises. Better promises. Promises that we are destined for glory. That when death comes to welcome us home or when Christ comes back, we will experience more joy and bliss than we can possibly imagine. And we can have confidence in those things. Not because we're all so faithful, but because Jesus is even more faithful than Moses. And because we can have confidence, therefore we can boast. Because we can have that confidence, we can therefore boast. Even when the rest of the world looks at our pitiful estate because we are poor or our health is failing or because in, the, in their eyes we take embarrassing and foolish stances, we can look at them and we can say, yeah, all right, I, I am poor. I am broken. I am extremely imperfect. I'm all of these things, but man, guess what? I am a member of the house of God. And of that, I am not ashamed. So we can, we can have confidence and we can boast in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, not because of our faithfulness, but because He is faithful to us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful. Lord, that You didn't only send Your Son to just save us and leave us be. But You sent Your Son to save us, to dwell within us, and to be faithful to us even when we are not faithful to you. So Lord, I pray, God, that you help us have, Lord, a confidence in your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you grow our faith in you that you grow our trust in you. And from that, Lord, I pray that, Lord, that you flow through us a, a desire to boast, God, to brag, Lord, not on ourselves, but the fact that we are a part of your house. Not because we deserve to be part of your house, but let's brag that, that Lord, we don't deserve to be part of your house, but through your grace, Lord, you decided to adopt us into your home and make us a part of your house. Lord, we love you. I pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.